It's bike racing season, and Spencer, you are racing your bicycle this weekend. Tell the good listeners all about your bicycle race. Oh, Fred, yeah, that's right. They are shipping me out to the Land Run 100 gravel race, 100 miles. Actually, it's more than 100 miles. And I'm just praying that it doesn't rain because it's like on these crazy clay mud roads that turn into just quagmires. Yeah, so. this is the one where you have to like have a paint stirring stick to take the mud off of your bike. It gets so gnarly out there. That's the one, right? That's right. So wow, yeah, we'll geez. be watching the weather forecast. Well, Spencer, you're a fit guy who races his bike. And for all the fit listeners out there who race their bikes, our friends at Health IQ have a great deal to get life insurance, you can go onto their website and upload race results. That's right, your very own race results and see if you qualify for a great deal on life insurance because Health IQ is the life insurance company that works specifically with fit, healthy, active people like cyclists and runners, swimmers, triathletes. So Spencer, how do our listeners find out about this deal? Yeah, you just go to healthiq.com slash velonews and you get a free quote on life insurance. But I don't think they take into account the uh, healing benefits of mud facials. So oh, right. We'll mm. have to work on that. Where, where can the listeners follow your own race results? We'll be uh, putting up stories on VeloNews.com and in the magazine. So as always, you got to check, uh, check out VeloNews. Spencer's going to suffer. Okay, on with the show. Welcome back. Welcome back to the Vel News Podcast. I'm Fred Dreyer, and I am joined today by Spencer Paulison and Dane Cash. And we're all in the same room. Look at this, guys. It's magical. I know. No one is joining us digitally or virtually or through the ether today. And I don't even mind the odor. Sorry about that, guys. Yeah. <laughs> hey, it was a, bu it was a busy weekend. Um, we have so much bike racing to talk about on this week's episode of the podcast because we had not one but two big races wrap up, that being Perry-Nice and Torino Adriatico. Actually, we are coming to you the day before Torino ends up. So by, by, the, by the time you're listening to this, you will know the results of Torino. We don't know it yet. We're just that far ahead of the news cycle. Yeah, that's, that's all right. it is. Yeah. But Sky won. That's the, there you go. There is the result. Oh, calling your shot. Yeah. So we're going to break down all of the action from Perinis and Torino Adriatico. Talk about what these results and these performances mean going forward as we look forward to Milan San Remo and the Giro d'Italia and the Northern Classics. We're also going to talk about Team Sky because Team Sky had so many weird storylines go on between these two races, between like team leaders crashing out, dropping chains, second in command guys stepping up and doing really well. Chris Froome looking not great. Spencer, how would you describe Chris Froome? Uh, he was... Uh, he, he he looked like he was uncomfortable. Yeah. He looked uncomfortable. And also it was kind of rainy and cold too. So it was double whammy when you're feeling crappy and, and the weather sucks too. Yeah, plus all those pesky journalists like attacking you at the finish line wanting to ask you questions about things like adverse analyticals. Yeah, he probably wishes that the stages just kept on going and didn't Not. have to stop and talk to people at the end. Not great I know for the recovery. Uh, and finally, we're going to look ahead towards Milan San Remo and we're going to talk about my wacky feature on Zwift racing, because guys, the future of bike racing, I've seen it, I've seen it, and you know what it is? It's people on trainers with cameras pointed at them racing on Zwift as like throngs 
of fans watch their avatars do battle in the video game world. It's a future, I guess. Dane, is yeah. that is that the future by Grace? Yeah, I'm not sure. I guess we can talk about that. Uh, you'll have to listen later in the show to find out. It sounds like the fourth installment of the Matrix series to me. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> the most boring episode. Of the Matrix is the uh, Swift Racing eh, that, one. That third one was pretty bad. Yeah, that's yeah. true. Uh, okay, guys, let's get to it. We had some racing go on this weekend. Let's start with Paranese. Who's going to give us the rundown? Of what I got happened you, Fred. in Paranese? Okay. I got you, Fred. I got you. Paranese was, it's so funny. It's like every year, the last stage of Paranese just delivers the action. You've got this tight circuit around Nice, climbs, and it really a lot of times comes down to that. But before we got to that point, there was a there was a lot of French love at, at the Paris-Nice. Four French stage winners, which is, and they were all kind of uh, you know first time World Tour winners or guys you don't usually see on top of the podium. Uh, it was it, it made for some exciting finales in these kind of intermediate stages where it wasn't truly like a climber's stage and obviously you know not a sprinter's stage either. I think one of our favorites has got to be Jerome Cousin winning stage five. He had this amazing quote in Cycling News: "Is this SFW or is this NSFW?" Let's gamble. I I think it is SFW. So he told Cycling News, and I'm assuming this is a very uh, kind of generous translation. I'm not really sure. But he said, when I saw that the victory was possible, I worked hard to go after the Katusha rider and I played with his balls a little. (laughs) That way I won. I'm so generous in my efforts all year and I was beaten in similar circumstances so many times that I decided to maneuver differently for once and to see if it worked. I didn't steal this, he said. So he is describing a situation in which he basically sat on Nils Pollitt for, I don't know, all the kilometers at the finish. Right. Nils Pollitt was like, hey, man, pull through, work. And Jerome was like, non, non, no. I will play with your balls. I will play with your balls. And then at the end, just sprinted him for the win. It's facile to play with your balls. eh? Yeah. And I think a lot of us were a little like, hey, man, come on, that's not cool. Except for Dane. I got no problem with it. Dane has no problem with it. Not only do I not have a problem with it, I'm like, I was rooting for him because... You, you got to keep the guys honest. You got to keep the breakaway guys honest. You, if, if, if Niels Pollitt wins that every time, then what is this sport? How is this any different from track and field? Like, I don't just want to watch a wattage competition. I want to watch tactics, and that's what makes cycling so awesome. Otherwise, yeah, watch marathons. Watch uh, cyclocross. Swift races. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah, watch swift races. Exactly. So I like the tactics working out, and I feel like maybe a 50-50 split is good. Sometimes guys like Pollitt win. Sometimes they look like morons, and that's good. That's what makes the sport great. And, yeah, I know that uh, Kuzan probably didn't make any friends in the peloton, but, look, this guy's got no World Tour wins up to this point in his career. This is his way to get a World Tour win. What are you gonna, If you're the director, are you going to say, hey, could you pull through just so this looks a little nicer? No, get the win. That's the job. Job done. Wow. I agree. And also it added a delightful term to our cycling lexicon. I can't wait to use it next time we have someone sitting on it. it mm, I think Valverde likes to play with guys' balls Maybe. when it comes to races. <laughs> he's, he's a ball player. <laughs> uh, we also had some heroes Woo! emerge from this race. Got off uh, the rails. Sorry. Simon Yates and Mark Soler. We had some great performances. Yeah, so let's get into that. This is what we're talking about when we talk about this crazy final stage around Nice. So Simon Yates comes in and wins basically the Queen stage, stage seven on Saturday, and takes the yellow jersey, but not by a lot. And going into that final stage, Mark Soler goes on a long-range breakaway, a la Contador, some might say, 
and he pulls back just enough time to to win the overall on the final day. And Contador tried that the last, I think, the last couple editions of the Paranese. He didn't do it last year. He didn't pull it off. But he he certainly entertained us while he was doing that. And you were saying, Dane, earlier that, or was it you, Fred, that that Soler was the guy in the break with Contador in the Vuelta last year on the Anglaroo. Is that right? That was right. So both Spanish guys, I'd say it's pretty likely that Mark Soler was getting some tips from Contador in that breakaway because he knew he was retiring. So he's like, this is my last chance. I got to mine this guy for all the info I can get. And he figured out how to win Perry Nice on that very day. Even doing one better than Contador. Right. Because right. Contador, was so, he tried and couldn't pull it off. Which, true. I, to be honest, I think that's part of it. I mean, I think... Mark Soler being the guy instead of Contador probably makes it a little easier to get away from the peloton. Right, obviously. He's not as much of a marked man. And uh, the other thing to say about that final day is it's like total field day for the Spanish cycling cycling fans and for the cycle. Andrew Hood had a great story for the website about this where it's it's this is the this is the rising tide of young Spanish riders. You got Mark Soler, you got David de la Cruz who won that stage eight. There is there is a lot of young Spaniards in the mix on that final day in Perry Nice and um Maybe in a few years, these will be the guys mixing it up in the GC. As an American, I'm very jealous. Come on, Spain. Just give us one of those young guys. Just mm. one. We need one young guy to Dude, be like, yeah. Uh, There's two Izaguirre brothers. Like, oh, surely yeah, we could get one of them. Yes, Both of them, uh, one finished third, one finished fourth. They're two seconds apart, by the way, in Pyrenees, So There should be a third named, like, Aitor. Yeah. yeah, perfect. See, see, here's where the Yates brothers really messed that one up. They should have both been at Perinese, Simon and Adam, and then they could have brothered up to the task and been able to match the Izagares because otherwise it's like, there's two of them. What are you going to do? Yeah. True. Well, that was Perinese. It ended up delivering some excitement. We predicted that it would be boring. We were wrong. So shame on us. And the route, I think, was a big part of that because yeah. the Terreno route, when, when you look at it, we'll talk about it in a second, but... The Pyrenees route, I think, lent itself to being exciting. It had these great last couple of stages where you have these opportunities to have these long attacks. So, yeah, maybe the start list wasn't quite as good, but the racing sure turned out to be pretty exciting the last couple of days. Uh, moving on to Torino Adriatico. Dane, what the heck has been going on in this race? Yeah, so as you pointed out earlier, this is an important note that we're recording this pre-ending of the race, so our listeners will know more about the finish than we do at this very moment. Uh, but over the course of the last... Uh, six stages up to this point. The, the team time trial that started this race off has proven pretty decisive. Uh, BMC winning the team time trial, Damiano Caruso with the leader's jersey after that stage. And uh, after six stages of racing, Damiano Caruso still just three seconds off the lead, just to give you a sense of how important that team time trial was and maybe how little has gone on in the GC. There was pretty much one GC day that, that had a big impact on this race, and, and that, was, uh, that was the mountainous fourth stage, uh, which was pretty exciting to watch, so it did sort of make up for the fact that there wasn't a whole lot of uh, other excitement going on. Mikel Landa comes away with that win, emphatic victory for a guy on a new team there. Sky has had a pretty interesting week. Going into that mountain stage, Garen Thomas was your race leader, and he suffers a mechanical, and so they kind of have to play musical chairs. This is after Chris Froome basically falls out of being the race leader because he's just not in great form. Namikov Kwiatkowski is the race leader, uh, the sky leader and the race leader. So they've had one guy after another be the race leader, and they still have two guys uh, in good contention with Kwiatkowski and, and Thomas. So, Going back to that mountain stage, I feel like in years past, Torreno has had a harder climbing stage at that midway point. So this one just didn't seem to break it up as much. I mean, you, you did have separation. You did have guys going off the wheel, but it seemed like one of those... 
those climbs that Sky just puts all their riders on the front and just drives a hard pace and whittles people down. Yeah, just to further that point, there's three guys finishing on the same time, and then after that, it's like 10 guys finishing on the same second time. So there's big groups finishing together, basically, instead of people coming in in, in dribs and drabs, as Carlton Kirby would say. Yeah, this last year, this would have been the stage when um, Naira Quintana dropped everyone real hard, including then race leader Garrett Thomas, and he escaped for the win. So I'm with you. It didn't seem like the, it seemed like the climb they had this year was not long enough to really break up the GC. But hey, that's interesting. It keeps it tight for this final 10 kilometer time trial. So let's go around the table. We're going to look into the future. The, the reader, the listeners are smarter than us right now. You actually know who won. Let's go around. Who wins? Who wins this race? I'm going to go with Kwiatkowski. He's Always been really good at short time trials. That ability to put in power for 10 minutes has, has served him really well over the years. So I think he holds on to the race lead. Uh, not a given by any means because he's only he's only leading the race as we speak right now by three seconds. But it's got to be my call for, for the pre-TT. I'm going to say uh, Fabio Aru is... Ah, just kidding. He's not going to win a time trial. <laughs> no, I'm going to say... I'm going to say Garen Thomas. I think he's a little better at time trials. He's, you know... He's, he's only sitting about 26 seconds back, but I, I think he might turn it around and, and put in a really strong ride. I'm going to say Damian. No, Damian Cruz is not going to win. I'm going to go with Dane. I say Kwiatkowski also wins. I think he's had a great uh, great spring already. What, he already. He's already won a stage race, hasn't he? Yeah, yeah, yeah he did. He won uh, Volta Algarve, so we know he's in good shape. Yeah. Well, way to go, Sky. Uh, let's let's dig a little further into these races. Let's talk about some of these protagonists and some of the lessons that we came away from both Paranese and Tirreno Adriatico as we look towards the Giro and Milan San Remo. Guys, you know, Simon Yates was real strong in Paranese. He played his cards right on that penultimate stage. Actually, the, the penultimate penultimate stage. Attacking away for the stage win. And I personally thought that that was going to be it. And he was going to win this race and take his first big stage race win. That was not the case. What do we learn about Simon Yates and Mitchelton Scott heading into the Giro d'Italia from Paranese? Yeah, I think Yates being on form is a really good sign for them because particularly for this Giro d'Italia, I think if you talk about the contender list of the Giro d'Italia four months ago, it seemed like it was basically whenever Froome decided he was going to race. It was Froome versus Dumoulin. That was what I was talking about. But now, I mean, Froome might not race at all. We don't really know. And Dumoulin has not had the best of first two months of the year. And he's still not the greatest climber in the world. He could conceivably collapse on a mountain stage. And so that makes this a pretty open Giro. I think Simon Yates has a legitimate chance. I think he's maybe, he's certainly in the top 10 of the contenders. And having proven his good form at Perry Nice, I mean, yeah, he didn't win, but he certainly had the form. Yeah, I think he's shown that he's got he's got a real chance. He's got a legitimate chance at this race. I do feel like Mitchelton Scott isn't quite tooled up for doing a GC ride like they need to be if they're facing off against Sky's A team or if they're facing off against Sunweb, which maybe isn't quite at Sky's level in terms of team support for a GC ride, but. Um, yeah, I'm not sure entirely as well how many of the guys from Perry Nice will be carrying on to race the Giro with him, but uh, Yates, you know, Yates definitely has proven himself. I, I think you're right. He is definitely coming into form on time for the Giro, but let's all remember one of his, his only real proper GC result in the Grand Tour is seventh in the 2017 Tour de France, which is is very good, of course, but to have him in consideration as a potential winner of the Giro with the likes of Froome and Dumoulin showing up, to me, is a little bit questionable. 
But that said, I mean, there's still some time for him to develop his form a little. And, and who knows exactly who Mitchell and Scott's bring into the Giro. Yeah, they only have three riders listed for the Giro so far, that being Simon Yates, Esteban Chavez, which gives them the ability for a one-two punch, which is interesting to see. And then the old dog himself, Mikel Nieve, riding in the, like, uh, father-time grandpa domestique role to show these guys what's up. Because as we know about Mikel Nieve, that guy, know, that guy knows how to shepherd some GC men to the win. Yeah, we talk about how they might not have quite the team, but they've certainly come a long way from what they had. I mean, it, this was a team that won stages almost exclusively in stage races. And and then sometimes Simon Garrens would go out and win a, a monument just like kind of out of nowhere. But now they've really developed in this team that is trying to focus on the GCs. And they're not quite there yet, but Mikel Nieves is a really, really good domestique to have around you. He was one of Chris Froome's favorite teammates in the last couple of years so that's not a bad get yeah maybe they don't have quite the, the sky train but they're working on it and imagine if Mikel Nieve had raced Perry Nice because he's Spanish mm. so the Spanish connection there that would have helped him out they would have known how to deal with all the other Spanish guys who are going crazy in that last Fair. stage yeah. good segue uh Mark Soler the overall winner what did we learn about him he's a guy that the Spanish have been talking about for a really long time he's a Tour Lavenir winner super talented people talk about him being the next Indurain the next Contador the next man to take up the mantle of Spanish cycling and here he is attacking being a great and winning Paris-Nice, what do we think this guy's capable of in 2018 and beyond? 2018, to specifically focus on 2018, I'm thinking not too much else, just because this is a crowded team. I mean, you have Mikel Landa, Nairo Quintana, and Alejandro Valverde that you have to work around if you're trying to find opportunities to be a GC rider. But that said, I think in the future, there's a lot to like about Marc Soler. Uh, he's, he's a pretty well-rounded rider. I mean, he's not just, he's not just one of these pure climbers. He's quite good at time trialing. I mean, he's really good at both of those things. And he has this great team around him and I think a, a, a good support base to develop as a rider. So yeah, maybe not this year and possibly not even next year. They have time. I mean, he, he burst onto the scene with that live on year when he was only 21. So he's still only 24. Yeah, maybe it's a year or two before he really gets that Grand Tour result. He's only ridden one Grand Tour, but I think the future is very bright, especially having confirmed it. Uh, Soler at, at Paris because you really need to confirm your Lavinier win with a with a pro win before anybody takes you all that seriously. Let me throw a curveball at you, Dane. Ooh. Here's Team Movie Star, the team that where all their leaders are racing the Tour de France, the team that seems to have too many leaders, and now they have this young gun coming up. What does this mean for Team Movie Star? I mean, they're already writing big checks to Nairo Quintana, Mikel Landa, and Alejandro Valverde. Now all of a sudden they have another guy coming up, and as the the law of uh, labor dynamics in pro sports tells us, you know, the highest bidder at some point is going to potentially be able to wrestle someone like Mark Soler away. Does Movistar have a talent and leadership problem? I would say no. I would say you have to replace or attempt to, you're never going to replace, but you have to attempt to replace the crazy output of wins of Alejandro Valverde, who at some point in the next five years, maybe 10 or 50, I don't really know when it's gonna when it's gonna happen, but he's got to stop winning races eventually. Does he? Uh, yeah. So, hundred year old Alejandro Valverde could prove me wrong, but I think you have to stock up on these young options because at some point that that that's gonna that's gonna happen. So, I would say there's there's not so much trouble there. The the real trouble for me is with Nairo Quintana. What happens with Nairo Quintana sitting out uh, Paris and Torino Adriatico? Whatever that does for his training, it's got to be hard for him from a leadership standpoint, from a team dynamic standpoint, because Mark Soler goes out and wins 
Perry-Nice. Mikael Landa goes out and wins the Queen stage of Torino. And Nairo Quintana, who two years ago we are talking about as the next great Tour de France racer, is sitting at home. So what does that mean for him? And, and I don't really know what that means for him in his future because he needs to get some results. He needs to get people to stop talking about this. He needs to get podcasters like us to focus on other things rather than his own leadership abilities. Try a little harder, Nairo. Jeez. Uh, yeah, I think he's still maybe a little uh, bummed out about that Giro Tour double yes, last year. He felt like uh, Movistar forced him to do. Here's a potential scenario. Andrew Hood brought this up in his story today about the Spanish riders that are up and coming. He said that there's two new Spanish teams at the Pro Continental level, and I'm wondering maybe they bring on one of these riders in, in a few years and go world tour. Maybe they bring on Soler. Maybe they bring on Quintana. And that would be an, an anchor for their for their team if they want to make the push to world tour. That would be one really cool because we've been missing a, a, another Spanish team like that since Uskaltel. Another elite-ish team like Uskaltel who was at least in the breakaways all the time and exciting to watch even if they weren't always winning. Well, they were great on the cobbles. That's right. They were so good in Paris-Roubaix. Yeah. <laughs> but also it would be really interesting for Movistar because Movistar just kind of tends to have a monopoly on the Spanish talent. That's where everybody wants to go. So if you have this second team, that would be kind of a cool competition. In that, that and the free cell phone plans that they get when they join the team. Yeah, which is nice perk. pretty cool. Yeah, Really nice. It's better than like, uh, I don't know, floor from Quickstep. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> or d- free pillows from Energetic. Ooh. Oh, man, great sponsor. Best pillows for pillow fighting. Uh, moving on to Torino Adriatico, because we learned some lessons about uh, a lot of guys at this Ooh, race. Yeah, we did. Um, we, first of all, Tom Dumoulin. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Is it, is it time to sound the alarm? Sheesh. <laughs> we going to have to hit the alarm button. I mean, here it is two races in for Tom Dumoulin, and he's had three mechanicals and a, uh, and a DNF crash out. Three, technically. He, he, he did okay at, um, at, at Strata Bianca. Okay, right, right. He, he, didn't, he didn't crash out or have a mechanical there. Um, I mean, is this Curse of the Rainbow Stripes? Is mm. this pre-Giro Jitters? Is it just bad luck? What do we chalk this up to? I'm going to go with bad luck. I think it's too early. I want to give you the hot take, but I'm going to go with bad luck. I think it's too early to worry too much. It's, it's, it's two races. By the, by the time we get to April, you know, he could have won a stage race. Who knows? It's true, but still, I mean, I just don't think this is optimal buildup for Tom Dumoulin. I mean, I think all of us want to see him firing on all cylinders, to use the cliche, at the Giro d'Italia and confident and wanting, you know, having come in with lots of racing in his legs, feeling confident and ready to take on Team Sky and the Death Star. So as a fan, I know I'm a little bummed out because it's like, uh, this guy has had two races now and sort of do two things that were out of his control. And, uh, you know, you got to figure that's going to impact his confidence. Well, so looking back at 2017, he had a kind of a similar buildup. He had the Abu Dhabi Tour, Strada Bianca, Torreno, San Remo, Liège. And he did manage to finish the, the Torreno stage race. That's good. But he wasn't blowing people out of the water by any stretch. He, he was pretty mediocre in his individual time trial, in fact, given the fact that he won time trial worlds later in the season. So I'd say, yeah, it's not great for these – these two mishaps to sort of scuttle these two stage races he was gunning for, but 
based on what we're seeing last year, I mean, he was, you know, he just kind of was finishing in the pack in Milan San Remo Liege, and it seems like he kind of raced himself into the Giro a little bit, and maybe that's what, what he needs to do this year. But there will be some excitement in that first week when they get over to, to Italy after the Israel starts, so he'll have to be ready early for that. He will, because he's going to be going head-to-head with Mr. Chris Froome, I mean, mm-hmm. assuming that we are... Uh, the, the current status quo with Chris Froome and his adverse analytical continues. 2018 is the year of the asterisk. Yeah. So many asterisks so far this year. Well, and it's the year of the let's look forward and hypothesize how things are going to play out. I mean, we're doing that right now with Terreno because, uh, you know. That's yeah. what we get paid to do. <laughs> exactly. So Chris Froome, not that impressive at Terreno. Um, should alarm bells be going off for him heading into the Giro? I mean, other than because of the obvious. It's sort of interesting with Froome, when you look at the uh, early career of Chris Froome, the way he came up, uh, especially when he started to really contend for the Grand Tours, he sort of did the Bradley Wiggins thing where he just crushed every race up to the Tour, and then he won the Tour uh, back in, I think it was 2013. But since then, he's really changed the approach a little bit. And last year, sort of similarly, he was kind of anonymous, uh, basically leading into the Dauphiné. Uh, he was up there on a couple stages in Catalonia, but other than that, every stage race he was in, not even a top 10 finisher. Um, so I don't think Froome is all that concerned because this seems to be what works for him now. Uh, it's kind of sort of building into shape rather than the, you know, the Valverde approach of winning or coming on the podium of basically every race you do. And breaking his leg. Or that, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, people forget that the first win that Froome took in 2017 was on the Champs-Élysées at the Tour de France after riding the entire tour without winning a stage, finally winning the overall. Yeah, and so he he could be thinking, let's do that again this year. On the other hand, maybe he's thinking, I'd really like to win some races before the tour, and it's not working out. That's well, there's possible. That, yeah, there's that one in Italy, maybe. He, he might try and win that Fair, one. Fair, he's going to go for that <laughs> if he's racing. Yeah. Still, I just have to wonder, I mean, here it is, the uphill, it's the summit finish day at Torino, this being, uh, I believe, stage four, and uh, Froome was a minute 10 down yeah, he, on Mikolanda. Not a good day for him there. And not just Mikolanda, but like Fabio Aru. Fabio Aru will be at the Giro. Um, Tish Benut. Way to go, Tish Benut. Wow. Yeah. yeah. God. Guy's still in the top strong. 10. As, as of recording this podcast, he's, he's still in the top 10 at Torino Adriatico. So. But a number of GC men um, finishing way ahead of him. Louis Manchis, um, Davide Formolo, even Garen Thomas, who had the mechanical. And so I just wonder if this is some type of, okay, you know, Froome is still putting the miles in and he's about to sharpen the spear heading to the Giro, or if this is a case of Froome's having to start his season much earlier than normal and he's just not really used to it. He's, he's been saying that he's planning on doing the Tour of the Alps, which will come in, in toward the end of April, and I think that'll be a good test, a lot closer to the Giro, and also... I think it will be a more severe test in terms of the climbing that's in that race relative to what we see at Toronto. Going back to what we said about that that stage four, how it was just kind of eh, it was a climb, but yeah. it wasn't like a real hard, you know, a throw, tour throwdown. Yeah, tour of tour style, ups. Giro style. Yeah. yeah, hey, there you go. Imagine that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, let's look at some uh, Milan San Remo contenders who are at Tirreno. Yeah. We had uh, Marcel Kittel. And Fernando Gaviria. Oh, I know. Fernando. So Marcel Kittel won today's stage, the penultimate stage, the sprint stage. And we had tragedy happen, which is that Fernando Gaviria crashed out in a very pain. Well, he, he continued. He, he finished uh, the stage. He crashed 
very painful looking crash, one that almost took down Peter Sagan. Peter Sagan had to do one of his patented, um, like, evasive maneuver, you know, go up on one wheel and evade the crash. I I had made a little gif for the Vela News Twitter of of Days of Thunder. You know that scene where Colt Trickle, like, just hits the gas and blasts through the smoke, like a big cloud of smoke, and it dodges all the cars. That's basically what Peter Sagan does in Bike Races. Yeah, and all that smoke was... He'd be um, a good NASCAR driver. Was Gaviria. Yeah, Yeah, it was Gaviria pretty much. So Gaviria, news came out that he has a broken wrist, which means his Milan San Remo has ended, Yeah, which is a huge, huge, huge bummer. And it didn't confirm, but I think it goes without saying, he's not going to be able to race San Remo to 290K or whatever it is. It's no way. No Probably not like getting level gun either. Probably he not. Was targeting Probably all the classics yeah, this year. It's really a bummer because yeah. he was, it seemed like he was on a pretty sharp form so far this year. Yeah. I mean, this is a worst case scenario for him because I know he had targeted these races. Obviously, he's going to try to win the green jersey at the tour later in the year. But, you know, being able to star at something like Milan San Remo, Gent Wevelgam, and some of the Northern classics represents the next step forward for a man of his talents. And I'm sure he's just so bummed because 2016 San Remo, he was positioned to have a shot at winning that sprint. And in a similar fashion, he touched wheels and crashed. And once again, Sagan dodged him. Maybe Peter Sagan should stop following Fernando Gaviria's wheel and sprints. That might be advisable, but it was a very exciting moment in that race. And, uh, Man, man, yeah, why does he keep touching wheels like that? Is it a track guy thing? Because he's, he's, you know, he's come up from a track background. Maybe that's what it is. I don't, I, I don't know, but it's a bummer for all of us because I think he would have been a fun one to watch. I will say that Quickstep's chances of winning Milan San Remo, I don't think took too much of a, of a hit. Classic I mean, Quickstep, right? If you, look <laughs> at their, if you look at their pre-today list of contenders for San Remo, they had, I think, like, in the top 15, they had about four guys. You have, yeah. uh, obviously, Gaviria, but you also have uh, Alaphilippe. You have Philippe Gilbert and Elie Viviani. So now they just have, oh, three guys in the top 10 or 15. Really slumming it. Yeah, so really I, I slumming it. Obviously, they're going to be pretty bummed, but this eliminates the leadership sprint question because now Elie Viviani is the, the clear guy for the sprint. There's really nobody else there, and they have two guys who could win with an attack in Philippe and Gilbert. So, yeah, quick step. It's it's a bummer, but they still have plenty of options still. Yeah. Mm, I don't see Viviani winning no, the San no, Ramos sprint. Viviani, no. Nah, I don't think so. I think it's possible. I think especially this year. Yeah, if everyone else crashes, yeah, for sure. It's possible. Especially this year, if you look at who else is there, because, you know, Christoph, meh. So it's basically Sagan or who else? I mean, who, who, that's that's the real question. Dane, yeah. if we wanted to join this Ella Viviani uh, fan club that you run, <laughs> yeah. like, do we apply for that online? Is it like a Reddit thing? No, but do check out the Recon Ride podcast. Okay. There we go. Coming out on Thursday. Yeah. Right we'll here be, on the News we'll channel. Previewing the race itself, giving you some thoughts on the, the course, the contenders, just all kinds of hot takes, because that's what we do around here. And uh, hopefully we'll get to hear a little bit more uh, love for Ellie Viviani and the various other contenders of this race. Well, you are interviewing Mr. Viviani, right? That is indeed going to happen. Just so make wow. sure he doesn't listen to this before. He we'll get to it. we'll get to hear what he says about this whole situation. Ooh. Dane, keep your questions like legit journal questions. None of this can I have an autograph <laughs> thing. <laughs> maybe maybe a digital Will autograph. You come yeah. to my birthday party. Will you fly <laughs> over from Italy real quick? Make a stop in Boulder before San Remo, which you're trying to win. Yeah. Very professional, yeah. very professional. Yeah. But now everyone should go check out the Recon Ride Dane's podcast. He had has done it for a number of years prior to coming on board with Vela News, and, and we'll have another episode dropping. We'll have that right on the station. Yeah. Yeah. So to stay tuned. Don't change your dial. Yes, don't change the dial. Um, Marcel Kittle, do we think he's going to ride 
Milan Sanremo? And do we see him as someone who could ever win Milan Sanremo? Uh, yes and yes. I think I think he's going to ride after his strong Torino Adriatico. And by the way, when I was doing that rundown of Torino, I was pretty much focused on the GC. Barely talked about the fact that Kittle, not only did he win two stages, but those were his first two wins of the season. And I think they're really shutting up a lot of people who were just bugging him about, hey, Marcel, when are you going to win a race this year? When are you going to win a race this year? So that's really nice for him. And having done that, he was a maybe going into uh, San Remo. But I think now I'm I'm thinking he's... He's probably going to race it. Um, and, yeah, I think he can win someday. I don't think he's going to win this year. Uh, he needs to sort of change up his his uh, I don't know, body weight is really what I'm getting at here. He's just a little too heavy, yeah, I think. Yeah, I mean, for, for Marcel Kittle, I think Milan Sanremo will always be a base miles ride. He's never going to be in the mix for winning a sprint in that race. I just don't see it. It, it, it climbs at the end too hard for him, and it's we're past the arrow when sprinters can get over them. What about the Arno Demar method? Uh, yeah, that's true, actually. Good point. Just hold yeah. on to the old team car. <laughs> Woo! This yeah. is the super boost. Yeah, oh, funny. We're going to be keeping an eye on MSR. It's one of our favorite races. Not our favorite, though. Um, as And we're going to talk about that in the future. But guys, I wanted to circle back and talk about Sky. Mm-hmm. Because we saw Sky performing in both of these races this weekend and doing fairly well. But in both races... This Skyman who came in as um, team leader or team co-team leader, that being Weltpoles for Pyrenees and then Garrett Thomas for Tirreno, suffered calamities and that Poles crashed out. And uh, Garrett Thomas suffered a mechanical right at the base of the decisive climb on stage four. You know, that got me thinking about Sky in a post-Froome world. And it got me thinking about, let's say Chris Froome is prevented from racing this year or Chris Froome is just, I don't know, taken off the board completely for whatever reason. Hmm. Yeah, how would that happen? Weird. What, is ta- what, what, what does Team Sky do? Who becomes their GC man for these races? And how do, they, how do we think they would fare? So, Dane, Team Sky have Garrett Thomas, great time trialist, can climb. Wout Poles, great time trialist, can both climb. Do we think either of these guys is capable of... Um, winning a grand tour or at the very least being worthy of team sky's leadership in a grand tour uh worthy of sure winning eh, doubtful i think uh, gary thomas has been sort of touted as the guy that sky has been developing as their as their grand tour second i guess behind chris Froome. um and and you know he certainly has all the talent in the world he's, he's obviously as you point out he's a good time trials he's a good climber but He's 31 years old. It's not like he's a young guy who who can still have all this room to grow. He's he'll be 32 by the time we get to the Tour de France. So I, I think it's pretty tough to see him actually turning that corner uh, unless he does it this year. Uh, and and Pools, I think, very talented rider, but I don't know that actually Grand Tour contention is necessarily for him. I think he's really good at the one weekers and and obviously the one day races, uh, winning a monument. But uh, yeah, I'm just not. I'm not liking them to be actual Grand Tour winners necessarily. Uh, if Chris Froome goes down, I think they're going to be looking a little further down the line, uh, maybe to uh, Egan Bernal, who is I think way too young right now to be talking about winning like the Tour de France this year. But maybe three or four or five years, this could be one of their guys that uh, actually is in contention to win win one of those big races. So I think it's going to be a little while if if Froome is out, but they do have talent uh, just just kind of further down the pike sergio hanau maybe but i guess he's getting a little older he's 30 now but uh he's he's shown himself in the climbs he's he's not a bad rider he's won perry nice in 2017 so potentially but certainly looking lean though i mean karen thomas just always has weird problems in in 
in GC races and in grand tours when he's the guy, you know, it's, it's sort of a Richie port type scenario where it's like Richie port always is the guy for these races. And back when he was at sky, he tried to do that thing where he'd, you know, they'd race, race him for the Giro and let Froome have the tour. And for some reason, weird stuff would happen all the time. Flat tires, crashes. I don't know why that is. It's maybe like a curse or something like that, maybe. <laughs> I wonder, you know, a scenario in which Chris Froome is off the table in which Team Sky, I mean, they have this huge budget in which they just go they just go hiring. They just go on a hunting spree for a new GC man. I mean, I look at the Yates brothers and, you know, the Yates brothers, they race together. They're on Mitchelton Scott, but it's like, could you envision a scenario in which Team Sky drives the Brinks truck up to, <laughs> I don't know, Simon, Adam, either one. Maybe they get lost and they go to the wrong one's house. I think but it's a package like, deal. I yeah, think you need both of them. You think you need both of them. Mm. But it's like, could you wrestle one of those guys away from Mitchelton Scott and make him the GC hope for Team Sky? Is a Yates brother a strong enough talent to be uh, the GC leader for a team like that? Or do they have to go for an existing guy like a Nairo Quintana or Mikel Landa? Yeah, I, I think Yates certainly would be, either Yates would be worthy of that. My question is, can the sky of two years from now convince anybody to join that team? Because who knows what, what sky's going to look like in a year from now or two years from now after the madness that is this year's various scandals uh, you know, all, all, after all that's settled, if it settles, mm. I mean, who's going to want to sign with that team? It may, maybe everything's fine in the end, but I think I think the the ease that Sky has had over the years of signing big guys is that's changing. Yeah, the team is not very chill right now, for sure. Definitely. But uh, maybe you could get guy from Astana or something. <laughs> just like <laughs> I, uh, I don't know. Yeah, Movistar. We were just talking about how Movistar's got a a lot of GC guys. I mean. You know, tradesies, maybe, something like that? I mean, I think that the budget at the end of the day is going to speak for itself. And even if Sky does have somewhat of a tarnished reputation, at the end of these, at the end of the day, these riders are thinking, you know, to a certain degree about earning potential and setting themselves up for after their career is over. So I think that they'll still be able to recruit people. But I do wonder about what level and what type of GC rider could they recruit who has the mentality to work within the Sky um, the sky machine who has the right type of personality, you know, you would, you'd think they would target an English speaker, a man from the Commonwealth somewhere because so much of their promotional ability and so many of their sponsors are in the UK. Um, doesn't mean it has to be that way. I but. think they've really proven they're willing to get international with their sign. There's a lot of guys from out of out of the UK on that team. Yeah, but as the figurehead. Yeah, sure. It, it, ideally, that would be the case, but I don't think that would stop them from signing a signing a Nairo Quintana, for instance. You know, who knows? Well, life without Froome. I mean, we may have a glimpse of that this year. I'm going for Garrett Thomas. Yeah. <laughs> Before we move on to the second part of the show, let's again talk about our favorite sponsor, that being Health IQ. Health IQ is the life insurance company that works with healthy, fit individuals. I got healthy this weekend, man. I went snowshoeing. Oh. It was so hard. God. Really? Yeah. I thought I was just walking around. It is walking around, only with big paddles on your feet, stepping in snow, and I thought I was really felt a healthy, fit individual, and I was like sweating and huffing and puffing. Well, congratulations. But for healthy, fit individuals, Health IQ has a great deal on life insurance. Spencer, where they can where can they learn about this? Yeah, you just go to healthiq.com slash velonews, and you get a free quote on life insurance. Awesome. And you support our podcast. Thanks so much for supporting us, Health IQ. Guys, we have Milan San Remo going on this weekend. It is the first 
monument of the year. It is the longest of the monuments. It's a real long one. It's the race where you set your DVR, you come in with about half an hour to go, and you see that these guys have already been on their bikes for like six hours. It's real good timing because daylight savings just happened and we all kind of need to sleep in a little more since we're getting woken up early during the week. Yeah. Perfect. You just sleep in, no problem. Um, You know, as a viewer, as a fan of cycling, where do you rate this race amongst the other monuments? Uh, For me, it is number three. Like two and a half. It definitely for me beats out Lombardia because I don't know. I'm just not really in the mood anymore by the time we get to that point of the season. They need to move that race to a different date. And then for me, I'd say Liege Baston Liege, it just is too much of a knockdown drag out fight to have like that interesting of a finale. And Valverde always wins it anyway, so you kind of know what's gonna happen. The the only question mark for me is whether it should be ahead of Perry Roubaix or not. And it just depends on the year for Perry Bay. We had two really exciting additions the last couple of years. But man, remember those years when like Fabian Conchalar would just go on like a 70 kilometer time trial in the end? Uh, that is not an, an amusing, that's not a good Perry Bay. That's not a good look for Perry Bay. So you have it two and a half to two and three. And a half. Yeah, yeah, around there. Dane? Uh, I'm going to I'm gonna put it four. I do really like it. So putting it that far down, I don't, I don't want to like, um, you know, talk too poorly about a race that i do really enjoy but the thing is that i only really enjoy the last 20 minutes of it Mm. and as long as you just accept the fact that there's going to be five hours of racing at least where there's just not much going on then you could really enjoy san remo uh because the end is awesome it's it's always good even if it's a sprint it's it's still you don't know what's going to happen usually the guy that's not the favorite wins and even even in the sprint and that's pretty rare usually sprint finishes are uh, they kind of come down to the same one or two guys. But San Remo, there have been surprise winners, even in the sprint the last five, six, seven years. And there have been additions where there have been late attacks, which were very exciting to watch. So for me, the big problem is that most of the race, and from a time perspective, is kind of kind of boring. Flanders, you tend to have a little more going on earlier. Um, and I actually kind of like a Lombardia. Uh, I'm, I'm going to put a Lombardia... Uh, on my third spot right ahead of it. So uh, even if it's later in the season, I, I just want something to stave off cyclocross season yeah. at the end of the year. Well, I so, bet Elia yeah. Viviani would agree with you on that one too. Well, he's Italian. So <laughs> he might not win in Lombardia though. I'm not going to go that far. Yeah, maybe yeah. not. No. So we have a two and a half to three. We have a four. And um, I'm going to rank it DFL oh. dead last. It is my least favorite wow. classic. Wow. I know. And it, well, that, look, first of all, look, I like this race. I enjoy watching it. The last 20 minutes are always exciting. Um, a few caveats, though. Any classic that can, that can regularly come down to a bunch sprint, man, that's lame. I, I want I want selective racing. I want racing where it's guys, small groups, tactics are coming out, and like it's it's you know it comes down to a group of maybe five or six. So I'm going to rank it last. I do like that it kicks off classic season because mm. it's usually it you know it 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 comes at a time in my life when I'm ready to like get back into the habit of watching bike racing on the weekend. See, that's the difference between Milan San Remo and Il Lombardia. They're just totally opposite sides of the, the calendar. Yeah. It makes a big difference to me. No, it's true. I mean, by the time Il Lombardia rolls around, I'm all burned out. I'm kind of like, "Eh, I'd rather go ride my bike." But it, you know, makes for an exciting race. I I I Definitely love the finale of Il Lombardia more because of the climbs. Milan-San Remo 
to me, yeah, it's that that bike race. You tune in and you see that there's 150k left to go. You're just like, I just nothing. Nothing is gonna happen. Snooze button. Come yeah, back and total snooze button. It'll wake you up when you do watch it. But you know. yeah, um, and then you know the fact that there can be crashes in the finish that like really, really impact what the heck is going on. To me, that seems a little unfair. Yeah, there's been a lot of that recently too. So how do we see this race playing out this year? Just knowing the contenders, the level of form they're on, and the teams and how the level of form that they're on. Do we see this as being a sprint year or do we see this as being a small group year? I think it's gonna be a sprint year. I think with the route, you, you gotta kind of expect sprint generally. I think there are gonna be a couple of escape years, but to me, it's just really hard to escape on this final climb. The, the one big caveat for me is, are there going to be enough teams with uh, marquee top sprinters to take up the chase when an attack goes away on that climb? Uh, because if there are, then I think it, there's really no question that those attacks should get caught. But there's not a clear sprinting favorite here. There's not one guy that everybody's going to be looking to for a big bunch finish. And that could sort of depress that potential chasing uh, motivation. Yes, yeah, Spencer? Sprint or escape? <laughs> oh, wait, we're going around the table. All right. I will say a escape. Let's let, let's just say for the heck of it, Vincenzo Nibali wins this one. He always, okay. he always tries. Maybe maybe this is the time it works. Yeah, we don't have the full start list out yet, but I think that it could be an escape again. You know, last year Peter Sagan coming so close to winning after um, launching that move on the uh, on the Supressa, and so I think I could see a situation in which he tries that again. And um, goes for broken and, and draws out either a Kwiatkowski or maybe a Wellens or a Benute if those guys are indeed racing. They don't, they're not listed right now, but nobody's really listed right now. So, you know, I think Peter Sagan wants this one, and I think he saw how close he came last year. So I wouldn't be surprised if he tried a similarly cheeky move and uh, actually got a gap. So I'd like that. I would like that, too. I would too. like that, yeah. I think we're all going for Peter Sagan. Anyone else not going for Peter Sagan here? Dane's going I for Viviani. I don't think I will. Viviani. I don't think I will, because I don't think he's going to win the big bunch sprint. And okay. I, and I do, th- as I already said, I think it's going to come down to a sprint. Yeah, Sagan's so. terrible at sprints. Well, I think he's yeah. good at coming in second, too. He's good at winning, but he's also very good at coming in second. This is something he's proven over the years. It's, it's true. 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 So is Viviani. Well, actually, Viviani's Ooh, kind yeah, of good Viviani's at coming, good in coming in fourth or fifth, but... <laughs> But he's won some this year. So. All right. Yeah. <laughs> so Milan San Remo, neither of us have it as our favorite uh, classic. Is there any way that Milan San Remo could, could like rise up in your ranks of classics if they did something to the finish? Meh. Maybe to the beginning of the race, like okay. the first 150 kilometers. You just got rid just of it. Just get rid of them. Yeah, I think. No, because then you'd change what San Remo is. So I, I'm, I'm comfortable with it being fourth. I mean, just I'm glad that there is this race, that it exists. And not every race has to be Flanders even though Flanders is the clear best monument. I think that's my top monument. I think from Spencer's list, it was his top monument. So not every race has to be Flanders, you know. Yeah, you have to have a San Remo in order to have a Flanders. Exactly. Yeah, you have to appreciate Mm. Flanders. you got to have the Sprinters Classic. Okay. Well, we're going to be watching the Sprinters Classic. Dane is going to be leading you all onto a deep dive into the previews of the Sprinters Classic. And then probably next week, we're going to be talking about it because... Nothing else to talk about. <laughs> All right, guys, before we get out of here, uh, who wants to talk about my fun feature story this week on Zwift Racing and the potential for 
uh, stadiums filled with screaming fans watching people on trainers race around in the virtual world. As long as you're my boss, Fred, I'd love to talk about it. Okay, let's, let's, take let's, a, do let's that. talk about it. Yeah. Uh, so a few weeks ago, I was uh, turned on to the idea that a uh, wealthy entrepreneur from Tucson, Arizona, a man named Frank Garcia, has been bankrolling a series of of Zwift races under the title CVR, Cyclogent Virtual Racing. And, you know, I don't do Zwift, but apparently on Zwift there are these huge communities of people who meet up regularly to race, and there's about 50 to 60 of them, and CVR is one of them. And so people meet up regularly several times a week to race each other on Zwift, and the results of their Zwift racing are added into this ranking. And so the guy who helped start this online community thought, God, there'd be a there'd be a great opportunity for a spectator sport if I took people who participated in my racing series and made live events for them to participate in. And thus the CVR World World Cup was born. And so in 2017, he held CVR races at Las Vegas, Paris, and London. And the concept was some of the more accomplished members of the CVR community would show up, they'd be on trainers, and they would participate in these races against each other and they'd have cameras pointed at them so that people could stream along at home and uh, they'd have people at the actual races watching and cheering along drinking beer and watching bike races as they occurred in this virtual world does that count as a bike race i don't know i don't know you're pedaling you're exercising yeah it's it's uh it's i mean the one of the things you brought up in your story fred that puts it in context is the growing popularity of uh, video game esports esports yeah that's what esports so it's people play video games people watch the people playing video games and I guess that's a thing I am a millennial but I'm an older millennial so maybe I'm just not clued into this but yeah I mean it's a thing there's there's a lot of people I guess that are into that nowadays so I can see why he'd think to do this but to me, I don't know if I'd be into watching that. It sounds very sweaty. Yeah, uh, Twitch is the platform by which you can watch people play video games, and apparently it's like a billion-dollar endeavor. Yeah, I, don't, I actually think there is a really good comparison here to esports because it's a, yeah, it's, it's a sport, I guess, that you look at it and you say, is this bike racing? And, and people said the same thing about esports, and yet that's, a, that's got a huge following, and it's just growing rapidly and there's yeah millions of dollars flying around in esports right now uh for me the the big question that that i kind of ask myself if if i'm interested here is is there anything to this that's more than a wattage competition because until that happens i'm not that interested i, I guess the the esports angle the fact that it's watching a bunch of guys who are stationary i don't have that much of a problem with it there are women's races too to guys and gals yeah. yes yeah so. uh who are stationary i don't have that much of a problem with that if there's some sort of tactics involved i mean but i don't really like watching like as we've t- talked about in this very podcast marathons i mean it's sort of the same thing i don't i just want to watch a wattage competition and that seems to be that's kind of what this is so there's a few different components to the actual racing because i interviewed two athletes that participated in the paris round of this and they said you know it is very much based off of how strong you are in a bit of a fitness test there are so, there, there's definitely some strategy that goes into it but not what you would find in a traditional road race so one of the women i talked to is a road racer she per- has participated in belgian Kermit 
Miss races. She's a cat too. And she said that, you know, she was expecting it a bit to be a bit more tactical because Zwift does account for drafting. When you're riding behind someone on Zwift, it's a little bit easier. So you can do things like sit in for the sprint and attack at the right moment, et cetera, et cetera. But the woman said that um, since the races themselves were so short and the CVR competition is made up of a 20-minute uphill time trial, so a hill climb, where literally it just like switches into the hardest gear and you're just off and running. And then you get like a couple minutes break and then you go into the 25-minute road race. And then you get a couple minutes rest and then there's the crit. So it's three races back to back to back over the course of like two hours with very little recovery in between. So she said that, you know, she did the hill climb. It was awful. It was 20 minutes. She was gassed, had a couple minutes to catch her breath. And then the road race started and like, we've all done road races. And how does a road race start? You roll out of the parking lot, right? Talk to people. Talk to people. Eat some snacks. Yeah. Hang out. out. And she said that just from the gun, this group of five attacked and like never saw them again. Brutal. So it was like, oh, I already missed the move basically in the proverbial rolling out of the parking lot. Well, and there's also the element of uh, these kind of weird extra things you can do on Zwift, like like power-ups or like the lightweight thing, or I don't even really know what they're called exactly. I'm also kind of a a Zwift uh, Luddite, but... It's sort of like a Mario Kart type situation where you just have these weirdo things you can, like little wild cards you can throw out there. Maybe they need more of those. Maybe you need to have like the the, the puka shells or something else to really mix it up. That'd yeah, be, but that'd be say, fun. You, you can get, there's a power-up that makes you lighter. There's a power-up that makes you more aerodynamic. And then there's the Koopa shell power-up, which allows you to shoot it at other Zwift racers. That, I'd watch that. And See? when they get hit, they go, whoa, 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 whoa. And they now spin out. Now we're getting somewhere Tactics. here. Now Sounds we're good. getting somewhere here. You got that thing. I don't know, like the yeah. oil slick, James Bond style. Mm-hmm. Uh, shortcuts. How about some shortcuts? Throw in a few of those, like little, you don't see them coming, and all of a sudden, you get a chance, and you just pew, right into the, the, the inside line. I like the Super Nintendo F-Zero um, jumps that you have to go over that, like, launch you, like, up into space. I feel like there's much more potential for this right, on the video game end than on the cycling end. Yeah, let's just end. make this fun. Like, let's make it fun. It's, it's like, if, if eSports is doing so well, they must be doing something right. I, I don't know. And you can't really do those things in real life. Right. So you might as well take advantage of the fact that you have this platform. Exactly. You know? Yeah. Let's think, like like let's avoid the the augmented reality and like just make it some weirdo fantasy world where you're like riding a dragon that's pedal powered or something. Call of Duty Zwift. Yeah. Oh, mm, problematic. <laughs> yeah, that's Maybe true. a little too soon for that, but yeah. Uh, anyway, this CVR they're having their World Cup this coming weekend in LA, and apparently you can watch along. So guys. You know, I know we have Milan Sanremo on this weekend, but who here is going to be watching the CVR World Cup, watching some people sweat around on Zwift? Well, Fred, you really talked me out of being a fan of Milan Sanremo. So <laughs> I'm pretty sure now I'm going to just uh, tune into Twitch. And uh, Yeah, did you agree to do that? Did you talk to the Zwift guy and say, hey, I'm actually going to go and, and uh, trash Milan Sanremo so that people, yeah. more people yeah, watch? Yeah, that's the, true. Oh, this, yeah, this is actually sponsor, sponsor, content. sponsor content. Sponsor content. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. We help yeah. brands reach uh, other people yeah, yeah, just by creating. putting down classics races. Just sweet, sweet content for you listeners out there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, Flanders is coming up, but instead watch the Zwift race. <laughs> March Madness uh, coming up. So, yeah, I don't really like any of those uh, classics in Belgium. Sorry, guys. Yeah, mm, We need uh, to get in on that March Madness money. I don't know if there's ever going to be a period in time in which stadiums full of people are watching people race around on Zwift or in which tens of thousands of people are tuning in online. But I could be wrong. Could be wrong. We'll find out. Before we get out of here, do we have any uh, what's off the front, what's off the back? 
Oh, good one. Yeah, that's right. That's the what's hot, what's not in the world of cycling. Um, I think I will go last. So, uh, <laughs> oh, man. We'll Classic. So Spencer goes first. Oh, thanks. Great. Uh, I think that, you know, the obvious what's off the front is young Spanish riders. But I think the sort of secret off the front is Contador because he's, he's inspired them all and nurtured them all. And now the fruits are being tasted. Mm-hmm. And I don't know what I'm saying. The off the back, though, has got to be... It's got to be Chris Froome. I mean, come on. You can't show up to Toronto like that. That's just, he's just not looking so hot right now. Uh, we'll, we'll see, but it's still like, eh, got some question marks. Off the front, Amy Peters, Bulls Dolmans, winning Ronda Van Drenthe. Mm, nice. Bulls Dolmans continues to win Women's World Cup, Women's World Tour races. Uh, last week, Strata Bianca was so impressive. And now here it comes down to a sprint finish and they're still winning. So uh, way to go, Bulls Dolmans. Off the back, yeah, I mean, I would say it's just like Sky's Sky's potential with its current lineup in a post-Froome world. I just don't, I don't see it. For the Grand Tours, yeah. Yeah, Yeah. for the Grand Tours. For everything else, they'll continue to win. Yeah. Bonus off the back. You, Fred, because you said you were going to go last, and you cut in front of Dane. This is—I am now off the back. Pretty rude. Like I'm the yeah. actually. Yeah, I actually well, really don't mind because it gave me a little more time. <laughs> that's smart. Yeah, so. that's tactics. See, tactics, tactics like that aren't going to play out well, in a Zwift race. You know, you're not going to be able to pull that move in a Zwift Dane race. Dane loves true. Milan San Remo, which is my number, my my last classic. So I figured I'd just make Fair it the last one. Yeah, yeah. I guess my off the front, I'm going to say Mikel Landa uh, coming into Movistar. There was a lot of hype for Landa. Off of a season where he was very good, but at the same time, it wasn't as if he won a Grand Tour last year. Uh, and I think he still needed to, he still needs actually to, to continue to prove that he's worthy of all this hype. And he went out there and he did a really good job at Trano Adriatico winning the Queen's stage. Yeah, he's probably not going to win the race. Maybe, okay, but the team time trial, I think, kind of sunk his chances of winning that race. So for me, he's. He's got to be your guy that that's uh, off the front. Off the back, I'm going to just go with Tom Dumoulin's juju. I, I don't know. He's just, something's going on. And he needs to get it all worked out. You know, the, the, the feng shui, the luck, whatever we want to call it. But I'm not too worried about it. I think he will sort it out before the Giro d'Italia. We need him to. We need him to be the foil to Team Sky and Chris Froome. Indeed. Plus, you know, you start having too many... Like bad things happen to these races, to you in these races, and you become a bit of a poopy pants. True. We just don't want to see that from Tom oh, Dumoulin. Yeah, yeah. Well, we would love your feedback on what we talked about today. You can email us at webletters at competitorgroup.com. We'll also post links to the stories we talked about today on VeloNews.com. Subscribe to the VeloNews podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, or Google Play. And while you're there, please leave us a comment and a rating. Become a fan of VeloNews on Facebook at facebook.com slash Magazine, And follow us on Twitter at twitter.com slash VeloNews. The VeloNews podcast is produced by VeloNews, which is owned by Pocket Outdoor Media. The thoughts and opinions expressed on the VeloNews podcast are those of the individual. And as always, we leave you with the Brooklyn Boogaloo Blowout playing the Bernard Purdy Classic Soul Drums. Mm-hmm.